We've made it all the way through two Sundays talking about a very complex, difficult, controversial subject, and um, we haven't had any fights that I know of. We, we, uh, it's, it's good to be a part of a church where we can, we can talk about hard issues and do it with understanding and grace and, and be guided by God's Spirit and, and guided by God's Word, and I, I'm thankful that that no actual preachers were harmed in the making of this series, so that's, that's good, and if I can get through the next 30 minutes without getting harmed, that'll be, that'll be perfect. Um, if you're not sure what we've been talking about, maybe it's your first Sunday, but um, we've been talking uh, about this year's election and, and sort of the climate that we're in, <clears throat> not so much who to vote for and who not to vote for, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how do we represent the kingdom of God. Uh, as we as we walk through these next uh, six weeks and beyond, uh, because this happens every four years, we, we select a, a president. Um, I, I'm really glad we're wrapping up today, primarily uh, because both of the major party candidates are having their first debate tomorrow, and I really don't want to talk about this after that, because there's no telling what's going to happen tomorrow night, and so I'd kind of like to be done with it. But just as a little survey, just so we know who's here, how many of you would say, I'm definitely watching the debate live, it's appointment television, I'm going to be watching uh, the whole thing, hands up in the air, it's like you're ready for tomorrow night, you're jazzed, yep, yep, good number of you. How many of you say, I'm going to watch it, I'm just not going to watch it tomorrow night, it's, it's, Saints, it's Saints Falcons night, or uh, it's Dancing with the Stars, or The Bachelorette's on, or something. How many of you say, I'm going to DVR it, I'm going to go back and watch it later? Uh, a few of you saving it for later. How many of you, I'm not watching it tomorrow night, but I'll catch up on the internet or news, I'll kind of get the highlights. All right, how many of you, you could not pay me to ever watch 10 seconds of the debate? Okay, that's... That's a lot of you. All right, so um, no judgment, no judge. Just trying to see who's here. Just trying to see where we are. Um, we, we've been talking over the last couple of weeks primarily about our relationship to what's going on. And again, how do we represent an eternal kingdom as we walk through the decision-making process in a kingdom that's not eternal, in, in, a, in a here and now uh, a kingdom, and, and how do we represent God's kingdom as salt and light through this process? But I don't want to suggest by doing that that there aren't important things to talk about. There, there are important things that we need to talk about in this process. There, there are issues that have biblical connections to them. Uh, they, they have eternal connections to them, and, and I, I don't want to dismiss those. Uh, last week we said... There, there are a lot of things about any election that are political in nature or even personal in nature, but they're not biblical in nature. And so I encouraged you not to speak on behalf of Jesus about a subject that he never really talked about or speak on behalf of the Bible about an issue or a subject that the Bible really doesn't address. It's fine for you to have an opinion. It's fine for me to have an opinion. It's, it's fine for us to articulate those opinions in the right way. Let's just don't say, well, the Bible is on my side, or Jesus is on my side, unless, unless Jesus clearly was on that side, or the Bible clearly speaks to that particular position. But having said that, there are issues in any election that the Bible does have something to say about. And, and the Bible may not address 
specifically the application of 2016, but at least in a general manner, it speaks to that issue. And I want to raise some of those this morning. And and my, my point in raising them is to simply say to you, as you work through this election series, this is probably something to keep in mind. This is, this is a, a filter to kind of work through your thinking on. Now, w- one more comment before we get to the first one, and that is, let's be honest that we don't live in a theocracy. We, we don't live in, na- in a nation that aligns itself uh, conduct or religious teaching. We don't. We, we live in a secular society, and you you may be thankful for that, or you, you may not be thankful for that, or wherever you land, we, we don't live in a country that is guided by one set of religious principles. We, we do live in a country, at least we'd like to think, that is guided by values and morality and, and ethics, and much of that tradition comes out of Judeo-Christian religious teachings. So, what, what are the issues that we need to pay attention to? What, what are the issues that are informed by the Scriptures? And the first one isn't necessarily a platform issue. It isn't a Republican or a Democrat issue. It's, it's again, more how we respond, but definitely a biblical issue. How we speak about and treat whoever the eventual president is. This is a biblical issue. It's not a political issue. It's a biblical issue how I talk about the future or the current president. Um, One of my friends, in my opinion, won Twitter about two weeks ago with this election post. He, He tweeted, people who tweet wishing the election was over because you don't like the candidates. You do realize when this is over, one becomes president, right? I mean, that's a pretty good thing to remember. If, you're, if you want it all to go away because you don't like the options, the options are the options. Right? Well, on November 9th, in all likelihood, and this is not a debate about third parties or what to do with your vote, or in all likelihood, the Electoral College, the way everything shapes up, the map, in all likelihood, it's going to be President Trump or President Clinton. And, and in six weeks and two days, the nation's going to decide... Therefore, in six weeks and three days, barring a hanging Chad scenario, we're going to know who that person is. And one of the very first things we have to consider as followers is what the Bible says about how I relate to that authority in my life. So let me just clear that up. In Titus, we read, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. Remind everybody to be subject to the authority that's in their life. In 1 Peter, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor, which would loosely equate to our president, whether to the emperor as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. And then in verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor the president. The Bible is very clear on this issue. Followers of Jesus respect those and speak respectfully 
of those who are in positions of authority. This is not a political issue. This is not an American issue. This is a biblical issue that we are commanded to speak with grace and respect toward the person who is in office. Now, that doesn't mean we can't disagree with decisions. We can't disagree with positions. It doesn't mean we can't articulate those disagreements. It means the way I articulate disagreements, the way I speak about that person must represent my relationship to God in Christ. The phrases that we just read, phrases like slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, always be gentle, show proper respect to everyone, honor the president, honor the leader. The Bible is crystal clear that we don't get to call the president whatever name we want because we disagree with him or her. The Bible's clear. We don't get to make up stuff. We don't get to slander. We don't get to pass along false information if we are under the authority of God. Not because we're Americans. Because we're followers of Jesus. And just being honest with you, I think, especially over maybe the last 15, 20 years, believers have harmed their witness They have harmed the cause of the kingdom. Pastors have harmed the cause of the kingdom because they spoke with so little respect for the leader of our nation. Biblical issue, not a political issue. It's the issue of respect for authority. It's a non-negotiable in the word. And not just respect, not just that I'm going to be respectful. The Bible goes beyond that and commands us to pray for our leaders. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And then he gets specific as if to say, look, don't forget this group. Be sure you pray for this group. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Under much harsher political conditions than you and I have ever experienced, Paul says, respect your leaders And pray for your leaders with greater consequences that they might suffer for being followers of Jesus than we have ever experienced or may ever experience. Paul says, respect your leaders. Don't slander your leaders. Be gentle in the way you speak about your leaders. Pray for your leaders. It's a biblical issue. Respect our leaders. Pray for our leaders. Leaders. Another biblical issue when it comes to any election and any authority. It's the integrity and wisdom of the leader. This is a biblical issue. The integrity and the wisdom of the actual leader. Some Proverbs. When a country is rebellious, it has many rulers, but a ruler with discernment and knowledge maintains order. That's his way of saying that's the kind of leader you're looking for. You're looking for a leader with discernment and knowledge. Another proverb, when the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. By justice, a king gives a country stability. But those who are greedy for bribes tear it down. Proverbs 29, 12. If a ruler listens to lies, all his officials become wicked. The Proverbs is full of this sort of instruction that says, the moral integrity of the leader filters down to the nation. The moral integrity of the president or the king or whoever's in charge 
it influences the rest of the country, just like in an organization. The moral compass or lack thereof by the leader of the organization influences the rest of the organization. And so the proverb writer is saying, look, pray that your leader is going to have integrity. Choose leaders if you have that opportunity. Choose leaders who have high integrity, high character, which may not be real good news for some of us sitting here on September 25th, 2016. Right? I mean, we've already discussed the fact that there's never been an election with a perfect person on the ballot. Never. Every candidate has been flawed. And without trying to be negative, we've also admitted that the candidates on this election's ballot are uniquely flawed when it comes to character, when it comes to integrity, which I would say is all the more reason to begin praying for them now. It's all the more reason to begin lifting our nation up to God, to be, begin praying for these two individuals, one of whom will in all likelihood be our next president. It may, honestly, maybe it's not too soon to start praying for our next president. Right? Maybe if we get a run and start here four years out, you know, maybe we're in a different situation for, I don't know. But since the proverb writer says, look, this is, the moral integrity is key. And, and, and I don't know how to talk you through how to weigh that in this election, but you've got to weigh that. You've got to weigh moral integrity and discernment and wisdom and knowledge. And you've got to pray that whoever becomes president gets a lot more of that than they're demonstrating right now. It's a biblical issue. No, another biblical issue. Non-negotiable. It's not a political issue. It's a, it's a biblical issue. And that is the care of the poor and the marginalized. This is not a political issue. This is not a Republican-Democrat issue. This is a biblical issue. How we care for the poor and the marginalized of our society. Even a casual reading of the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, pick which one you want to read. Even a casual reading of the Bible, you will find a theme, a continual theme, that God's heart is for the vulnerable. God's heart is for the marginalized. God's heart is for the people who are on the edges of, the, edges of society. And as you and I select our next leader, we have to think about that. We have to think about how, going forward, we are going to care for those who are vulnerable. We are going to care for the poor and the needy in our society. Jesus is telling a story in Matthew chapter 25. He's telling a story and he uses a king, but the king really represents God. So Jesus says God has two groups of people. And one group he commends, and he commends them because they came to visit him when he was sick and in prison. He commends them because they fed God when he was hungry and they gave God water when he was thirsty. And, and, and this group of people say to the king, they say to God, look... God, we never actually visited you in prison. We didn't know you were in prison. We didn't know you were ever hungry. When did we do that? And God's response is, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. God's heart so identifies with those on the edges of society, those who are vulnerable, that God says, what you do for them, you're doing for me. It's just that simple. And then he turns to the other group. 
And he condemns that group, and he uses the same language. He says, I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was in prison, you didn't come to see me. They have the exact same response. God, we never knew. We didn't know you were in prison. We didn't know you were hungry. We didn't know you were naked. We didn't know you were thirsty. And God again says, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Old Testament, New Testament, words of Jesus, words of the other writers, all of them are consistent that the heart of God is with the most vulnerable of our society and as followers of Jesus. We have to consider how we're going to address that going forward. Proverbs again speaks of rulers and kings and their response to the poor. Proverbs 29, 14. If a king judges the poor with fairness... His throne will be established forever. This is a good thing. The king is fair to those who are vulnerable and marginalized. And then the opposite, in Proverbs 28, a ruler who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain that leaves no crops. In other words, they're harsh. They're destructive. Good thing when the ruler cares for, his heart is for those who are vulnerable. Bad thing for the nation When the leader is not sympathetic toward those who are vulnerable and marginalized. Now, we can disagree about the best system to do this. We can disagree with the the actual approach to how do we help the needy, how do we help the marginalized, while at the same time, how do we encourage responsibility that we also find taught in the Bible, in the New Testament and Old Testament? How do we manage and balance this? We can discuss and debate how to go about doing it. What is not debatable is that people who are aligned with the kingdom of God have to care for the vulnerable. They have to care for the poor and the marginalized in their society. That's undeniable. And as we're making a selection about who's going to be the next leader of this country, we've got to ask that question because that's a biblical issue. It's not a political issue. It's not a personal issue. It's a biblical issue how we care for the marginalized. Another biblical issue. It's the issue of life. It's not a political issue. It's not a personal issue. It's a biblical issue. Because the Bible is clear that every life, from conception to natural death, every life is created in the image of God. Bears His image, created on purpose by a Creator who plans and purposes for that life. And I know this is a complex issue. I know it's a difficult topic. I know that there are unique circumstances that demand an intuitive and and a complex answer and a gracious answer. I get all of that. All of that is true. I just know that the overarching teaching of the Bible is that life is important. That life is valuable. That all life, from conception to natural death, is valued by its Creator. I also know, and I want to be real clear, that God's forgiveness and grace and healing and wholeness covers over decisions of the past. It absolutely does. There's restoration and forgiveness. But as God's people, we can't be silent on this issue. 
We cannot be silent on the sacredness of human life. Because as a nation, we are becoming more and more a people that respects life less and less. When you, when you turn on the TV and you see the constant loss of life, there is no denying that as a society, we have less and less respect for all human life. And it's being taken day after day after day. When it comes to the issue of abortion, we hide what actually happens. We turn away. We cover up what actually happens in that process so that we don't have to deal with it. And then we romanticize issues, end-of-life issues, assisted suicide issues by making movies like Me Before You and making this some love story. Even as happened recently, when the people who make millions from abortions are exposed for what's really going on, what's really being done to little tiny bodies, it lasts about a week and then we forget about it. We just turn our head away. We just pretend like that never came out. Like, no, that never really happened. It happened. And it's happening day after day after day, and it is not a political issue, it is not even a personal issue, it is a biblical issue for us as followers of Jesus. The psalmist said, God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Like, God, you did that. You were at work before I took my first breath. Prophet Jeremiah says, God knew me before I was created. He knew me in my mother's womb, and he purposed me. That's what Jeremiah says. God called me to be a prophet when I was in my mother's womb. And that's not just for Jeremiah. Jeremiah is not the unique case. God plans and purposes the lives and days and futures of every child conceived. Every single one. This is a biblical issue. It's a biological issue. I mean, we could work through the stages of development... We could talk about when there's a heartbeat and when there's brain waves and when they feel pain. But we don't really need to do that because we intuitively know there's a baby inside of mom. We, we know it. When a friend of yours is pregnant, what do you say to them? How's the baby doing? How's the baby coming along? You feel the baby kick? You know what sex the baby is? And we intuitively know this is a child. You don't walk up to a pregnant friend and say, how's the tissue coming? <laughs> Cells doing all right? Nobody does that. Regardless of how they vote or what side of abortion they're on, nobody does that because we know intuitively. That's a child. And we only change the terminology when it's convenient for us. We only change the definitions when it works to our personal convenience, but we know what's inside of every mom is a child. It's a child. I don't know if you read the news. About two weeks ago, Belgium became the first country to provide assisted suicide for a 17-year-old girl. 17. That's a, it's a complex issue. 
I agree. There are a lot of things to think about there. There are a lot of details. I totally understand. But my question is, where do we end up when we get on this train? Where do we end up when we become so desensitized to human life? We end up with societies, perhaps a whole world, with little to no respect for human life. We end up with brokenness and scars and regret because God was very clear. Every person is made in my image and eternally valuable. Life's a biblical issue. One more. This is a life issue as well. But specific personal issue, the issue of racial reconciliation. This is not a political issue. This is not a personal issue. This is a biblical issue. How we view, treat, engage with people who are unlike us. This is a biblical issue. Racism is a biblical issue. Racial strife is a biblical issue. John said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He, he, didn't, he didn't limit the world to my culture or my people or my color of skin or my background or my experiences. He said, for God so loved the world. Every culture, tongue, race, Every single person in the world God loves eternally, desires to spend eternal life with them. In the Old Testament, God used the word. He gets translated in English to what to us may have a, a negative connotation, but it's the word foreigner. And, and he just meant the person that's not like you. And all throughout the Old Testament, God commands his people, take care of the people who aren't just like you. Don't just take care of people who are like you. Take care of people who aren't like you. Make room in your life for people other than you who look different from you, who speak different from you, who have different experiences than you, who view the world differently from you. Care for that group of people as well. God so loved the world, not just my little world. God so loved the world. And I don't know how you're interacting with everything that's going on right now, but it seems to me our country's coming apart on this issue. We're being ripped apart. And instead of more understanding and more grace and more conversation, there seems to be somebody else. Because every few weeks, it's another shooting, somebody else is dead. There are more protests, there's more division, there's less listening, there's less understanding, there's more anger, there's more hatred, there's more division. This week it was Tulsa and Charlotte, and there were protests, and some of those protests become violent, and there's riots. Even one of our local high schools had tension this week over racial issues. A racist tweet, the next day a group of people quietly protested that. This, this tension is spreading everywhere. Athletes are using the national anthem as a form of protest, making a statement. Then other people are making statements about athletes making statements using the national anthem. And we're talking past each other and at each other. And the fever temperature just keeps rising. 
And who knows what it will be next week. Look, I'm, I am not a police officer. And I would not speak for police officers, but I have unbelievable sympathy and compassion and respect for police officers and what they're having to do. I am not a person of color. I could never, ever speak for a person of color. But I have incredible sympathy and compassion and respect for what they're going through and the fear that many of them are feeling. This is where we are. Torn apart, tension rising. And, and that's why a grid, a, a filter of this issue is so important in this election. Because it would be great to have a leader who could bring unity, who could bring harmony, who could speak peace and less tension over the next four years. And that may be asking for too much, right? I'm pretty sure that most of you, maybe all of you are thinking, that person's not on the ballot. As much as I'd like to have that, that person can't bring peace anyway. That, that person can't ultimately heal hearts and mend division. This is the work of God. It's the work of God in hearts that need to be changed and opened. And prejudice that needs to be lowered. And racism that needs to be obliterated. And conversation that needs to be had. And I would love to have a president that could speak into those issues and bring that peace. Which means... Therefore, but these are biblical issues, which means they're for us. They're for us to carry out. And maybe the president will. Maybe we'll have a president that helps in that process. But for many of us followers of Jesus, we have been waiting every four years after every four years, hoping some magical person would show up in the White House and fix everything. God's put us in this country. God's put us in this community. God's surrounded us with people who are different from us that we could have conversation with, that we could reconcile with, that we could treat with respect and grace and try to put ourselves in their shoes and show some understanding. These are commands for us. Not just hope that we get a president that feels this way. The command to care for the poor and the marginalized... That's for us. We're to care for those on the edges of our society. We're to care for the orphan. We're to care for the foster child. We're to support those who are giving alternatives to abortion. That's for us. It's a biblical issue. It's not a vote the person in that can do that. It's God, what do you want me to do about this issue? That's on us. So maybe as we pray for our leaders, maybe we pray for ourselves. Maybe we'd realize the salt and light and transformation that we should be bringing to a community. We need to stop hoping that some other leader will do it. And we need to ask God, God, what do you want me to do about this? God, what part do you want me to play when it comes to the orphan and the foster child and the poor and racial reconciliation and integrity. What part do you want me to play? Because this is a biblical issue to me, not a political issue. 
And I think the best way we can wrap this series up is by praying. It's by, it's by being united in prayer. None of us have all the answers, but we can call out to the one who does. We can ask him to send answers. We can, we can ha- ask him to open doors and, and calm tension. And so the band's going to come back and they're going to start playing. And, and I want you to pray. I'm just going to give you a little bit of time to, to pray. And maybe you stay where you are. Maybe you stand and pray. Maybe you come to the front. I know that we don't have like a real thing up here. But I mean, people are standing and kneeling and holding their hands up to protest all kind of things. Maybe we could stand here to pray. To say, look, this is our protest. Our protest is to lift our prayers up to God. Maybe you stand right where you are. Maybe you put your arm around somebody next to you. You hold their hand and you pray together. We need to pray. God, we don't have all the answers to every specific complex problem, but, but we know what you've said about life and about racial reconciliation. We know what you've said about care for the poor and the marginalized and the vulnerable of our society and our world. We know what you've said. Yeah, there's a lot of things we can do after we pray. There's a lot of ways we can engage and be a solution after we pray. But you've called us to pray. And so we end this series calling out to you. For whatever happens over the next six weeks and two days. For whatever happens over the four years that follow that. We're going to keep calling out to you and trusting you. Lifting our hearts up to you. Hear our prayer now. In Jesus' name, amen.